Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. They thought that when the Messiah came, he would solve their political problems. But John the Baptist and Jesus' message was to remind them that the biggest problem was not politics. And the biggest problem was not somebody else, but the biggest problem was them. They needed to repent. They needed to be forgiven and then be baptized. If you've studied the New Testament for any length of time, you're aware that the Jews of Jesus' time were looking for the Messiah to be a conquering king who would overthrow the Romans and free them. As Pastor Mark will be reminding us, both Jesus and John the Baptist came with the message of the need for individual repentance and living a new life. Pastor Mark will also be speaking about what repentance is and is not, as well as teaching about the evidences of true repentance, being generous, honest, and content, being thankful and the like, and having a zeal for the things of God. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of Mark with his message, Living in a Dangerous World, So What?, We're going to go back 2,000 years ago. We're going to be the Jewish people this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, I guess I'm Jewish today. Go ahead, just tell them that right now. I'm Jewish. What was the environment 2,000 years ago? What was the environment that John the Baptist came into? What was the environment that Jesus walked into? What was the environment of the Jewish people? Well, Here's a picture, spiritually, what it looked like. It's actually a picture from Israel that I took. It's the wilderness. The people are in the wilderness, spiritually. But actually, they're going to go out to the wilderness to meet John the Baptist. They were in the wilderness religiously and politically. Let's begin verse 1, chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, you're going to recognize some of these names as we go through. When Pontius Pilate, you recognize that one, was governor of Judea, Herod, tetriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetriarch of Iteria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetriarch of Abilene. That was the government. Look at the church. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert, John the Baptist. So Luke opens this chapter telling us about the religious and the political environment that faced the Jewish people 
and John the Baptist. Politically, Rome was in charge of the nation of Israel at this time. Israel was not free. The Romans were over it. Tiberius, one of those rulers, Pontius Pilate, Herod the Great, all of them known for incredible brutality, and they were all corrupt. And then Luke takes us to the church, the Jewish religion. The situation in the church was no better. Caiaphas, the high priest, and his father-in-law, Annas, they were not interested in God. They were only interested in their own power. The church was dead. So the people of Israel were living in a very dangerous world. It was like living in the wilderness of moral corruption and dishonesty in the church and the government. Does it sound a little bit familiar to you this morning? Can I hear an amen? Morally corrupt in the government and in the church. We have a church this morning that we have wonderful churches, many wonderful churches. But we have a lot of churches today don't teach this anymore. They're corrupt. How about our government? I don't care what, if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, idiot party. I don't care. They're clueless. It is not about politics. It's a spiritual warfare. And so here we are, same exact situation. Now, when you begin to think about that, these people, the Jewish people, they couldn't do anything about it. They're discouraged and they're disillusioned. Well, what would God do with this? What's he doing to us today? It's no different than 2,000 years ago. The names have changed. It's still a crazy, corrupt world. What would he do? Look at verse 2, the end of it again. The word of God came to John, John the Baptist, son of Zechariah in the desert. For 30 years, remember, Jesus and John are cousins. For 30 years, John the Baptist, kind of a different kind of a dude, you know, lived in the wilderness, in the desert, ate a locust, you know, and honey, and dropped out of his feet at funky clothes. He lived there for 30 years. And for 400 years, God had not directly spoken to the children of Israel. There was no prophet. They had the Bible, the Old Testament, but he hadn't spoken. And suddenly, one day, God comes to John the Baptist in the desert. And he says to John, it's time to start your ministry. What would God do? He was going to change everything. And so the first thing you need to know this morning is this. What John discovered is this. God was speaking to him. It had been 400 years. Nobody had heard God. This morning, God's still speaking. And in the next 45, 50 minutes, you're going to hear God speak to you. Through me. I'm not God. John the Baptist is not going to give his message. He's going to give God's message. I'm giving you God's message this morning. You're going to be challenged by truth that comes from God. When you have your quiet time, God is speaking to you. Yes, the creator of the universe is speaking to us. Now, what did he tell John the Baptist to do? Here it is. Look at verse 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So God gave 
John the Baptist the message and where to go. His first message was a message of repentance. By the way, Jesus, when he started his ministry, his first message was a message of repentance. What does that mean? I want you to write it down, because sometimes we don't get what repentance is. Some people mix it up with things. So here's the definition. Repent, to change one's mind, you know, what we think we become. So there has to be a change of mind. I can't do this life by myself to change one's mind, and that leads to a change of a new lifestyle. It's a radical transformation. It's a radical transformation. Now, I want to show you as you're writing this what that looks like. Here I am. I'm a sinner, and I'm going a certain direction. I'm just doing my own thing, following, doing my life, whatever. Repentance means changing from, uh, changing from going this way, changing from sin, and repentance means change of direction. Now I'm from sin to God. And so there's a change in my lifestyle. Here's the problem we have with repentance. It's not simply an intellectual change. It's a lifestyle change, radical of my whole being. Repentance is not about our emotions. Sometimes we mix up repentance with, well, I I got caught and I feel sorry. Feeling sorry about our sins is a good thing, but repentance is not an emotion. It's a decision. It's an action word. So repentance means we're changing the direction of our life, following our own self, and we're following God and his word. It's a huge difference between what many people think. After the people repented, the next thing that happened is John the Baptist baptized them in water. Baptism was an outward evidence of something that already took place in the heart. You want to write this down today. It's huge. Understand, people get this wrong. They think baptism is what saves them. Baptism doesn't save you. Repentance, not baptism, is what brings forgiveness. You can go up and down in the water 50 times, and if you haven't repented, there's no change. So baptism is an outward sign of something that's already happened in your heart. Now, John the Baptist's baptism, I'll explain more of this next week, was different than Jesus' baptism. We'll catch it next week. But they were there, and they were simply there for one reason. John the Baptist's message of repentance and baptism was to prepare the hearts of the Jewish people. Remember, they're hopeless. They have no hope. They're disillusioned. Another government's running them. The church is totally corrupt. And, And so they're trying to figure out. See, the Jewish people knew this by history that the Messiah was coming. They just didn't know when. So John the Baptist is a fulfillment of a prophecy given 700 years before John the Baptist. It's in the book of Isaiah. God's word is amazing to me. In other words, what we're reading this morning was predicted 700 years before it happened. God's word never changes. It's always true. Now, Uh, You don't need to turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to read what it is. Verbatim, pretty much, look at verse 4. Look at the first three words in verse 4. As is written. By the way, the reason we study the Word of God is we believe all the Word of God is true. As 
is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now watch what he says. There's somebody coming, a voice. There's somebody coming, a voice of how many? Of one coming in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads, well, they're going to become straight. The rough ways, smooth. And a huge verse is verse 6. Look at it. And all mankind will see God's salvation. You see, in the ancient world, it's kind of similar to what we see today. When you look at the news and you see an official, a president, a king, something, fly into a foreign country, and they get ready to get off the plane, what do they walk on when they're introduced? Some kind of a red carpet or something. They're walking on that baby. It's fixed for them. There's guards out there. There's everybody there. Well, in the old days, this is exactly what happened. Of course, they didn't get off a plane. The people went ahead of them, the roads that they were going to come in on, and they got all the rocks out of it, fixed the side of the road, got this, make sure there's no bandits. And so the person that would come into the city, the road would be paved. He wouldn't, it was smoothed out. It was fixed. It was ready. So what's John the Baptist doing? He's not doing it physically. He's preparing what? The hearts of the people because the Messiah was going to be introduced. By the way, next week we'll see when Jesus is introduced. So as he's beginning doing that, that was predicted in the Bible, and John the Baptist is doing that. Now remember, most devout Jews longed for the day when the Messiah would come. They knew he was coming. They believed he was coming, and they also knew from the scriptures, because they studied Isaiah, that there was a person coming to forewarn, to to be a forerunner, to announce his coming. So John the Baptist was indeed that man, the one who had come as an official herald. God said, John, it's time to tell him that the Messiah is coming. So he was called to the nation of Israel to prepare them. Time is coming. In weeks, you're going to hear the Messiah. And so, remember, what is the nation of Israel in? They're in the wilderness. Hopelessness. Nothing happening. In a spiritual sense, John was calling the people of Israel to repent, turn from their sinful lifestyles, and prepare their hearts for the coming of the Messiah. Now, who would the Messiah come for? If you were Jewish... It's still true today to some degree. You'll see in a moment. If you were Jewish, you believe the Messiah would be Jewish. We know that's true from the line of David. And who would the Messiah come for? Nothing but Jews. He would definitely not come from those idiot Gentiles. Raise your hand this morning. Yeah, that's us. He would not come from us. We're pagans. Why would the Messiah come from us? He's only coming for the Jewish people. Interesting enough. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus came to his own, and his own wouldn't receive him. So look at verse 6 again. I ask you to look at that verse. Look how huge this is. What's verse 6 say? And all mankind will see God's salvation. Notice that the Messiah's coming deliverance was for who? Everybody. All through the Bible, we see that over and over and again. If you don't know this truth, you need to write it down. Here it is. Jesus and his good news is for all people. Not just for the Jews, 
not just for the Gentiles. It's for all people, Jews and Gentiles. Now, let me ask you, I'm going to give you a little something this morning. You're going to struggle with it. It's okay. What if all of a sudden a group of people in ISIS go to Egypt and they say to the Egyptian Christian church, the Coptic church, you know, we cut heads off of some of your husbands and brothers And as we watched their lives, they died for this man called Jesus. It's impacted us. We want to repent, tell you we're sorry, and we want to leave Islam, and we want to become Christians. Would God forgive them? That was pretty light. Would God forgive them? How do I know? Because he forgave you. And he forgave, Pastor Mark, what are you talking about? We're all sinners, and sinners are separated from God. It's not a matter of this, that, and the other. You say, well, that can't happen. Do you know many Muslims around the world are coming to Christianity? Because Jesus came for who? The whole world. So God still loved the world. Paul would say it like this in Romans 1. He came to the Jew first, and then the Gentile. How many are glad he came for you this morning? I'm glad. There's a few Jews here going, oh, well, okay, you're okay. I'll get it. It's okay. Now, so that was John. That was hard for the Jewish people to understand. Now, interestingly enough, the Jews thought the Messiah, when he came, they weren't too interested in the salvation part. They thought that when the Messiah came, he would solve their political problems. But John the Baptist and Jesus' message was to remind them that the biggest problem was not politics. And the biggest problem was not somebody else, but the biggest problem was them. They needed to repent. They needed to be forgiven and then be baptized. I want you to write this down this morning because this is huge for all of us. As we look at our crazy world, let me just remind you today, my biggest problem is not political, it's spiritual. Of course we pray for our leaders. Of course in this country we can vote people in and out. Many countries you can't do that. Of course we do all of that. We're to pray for our president, our Congress, all of this stuff. Of course. But the biggest problem in our world today is not political, it's spiritual. This is all about spiritual warfare. And second, I know you won't like this, but it's true. My biggest problem is not someone else, it's me. What is your biggest problem? Now, if you're married, your wife will tell you what your biggest problem is. (laughs) It's you. Would you turn to your neighbor and just say this? My biggest problem is me. Go ahead, just admit it right now. Come on, just admit it. Come on in the balcony, I'm watching you just sitting up there looking at me. Come on, my biggest problem is me. Exactly. That's what John's saying. You repent. Forget about the Romans. You repent. Can I say this morning? Forget about ISIS. You repent. Because it's spiritual. The real you and me is spiritual. Now look at verse 7. I want you to circle a word. And John said to the, circle a word, crowds coming out to be baptized by him. In Matthew 3, Matthew writes it like this. Listen. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. The verse literally says that from Jerusalem and the whole Judean countryside, 
Streams of people constantly flowed to the wilderness. John didn't go to them. They came to him. They came to hear John the Baptist in this message. Historians tell us there were hundreds of thousands of Jews came to listen to the message of repentance. Why? Why was the message and impact so dramatic? Why did the masses leave their cities, walk for days? They didn't have a bus. They walked for days to hear a message of repentance. Why? Because the wilderness that they were in was spiritual. You see, the wilderness was a picture of their lives. Dry, empty, barren, bored lives. These Jewish people were searching for meaning and forgiveness. I know you've seen this. This morning's news. Three girls left London on Tuesday on a flight to Istanbul, Turkey. They are believed age 15, age 16, age 15, to be trying to travel into Syria to join the Islamic State known as ISIS. Now, why would a 15 and a 15 and a 16-year-old leave their home, their country, to go to join ISIS? Two reasons. Number one, deception. Satan is the greatest deceiver. Do you know what their life will be like? We already know what their life's going to be like. They'll be raped by many of the soldiers. They'll become a wife of many wives and probably die. Second reason, you know where they're going? In their country, England, they're searching for purpose and meaning. They're busy, but there's no purpose, there's no meaning in their life. You see, without Jesus Christ, life has no meaning. Do you understand? We look at them and go, what is wrong with you? Our country is filled with the same people. Oh, they're not traveling to the east. But they're looking for what? They're looking for hope. They're looking for some kind of answers. You see, the only person offering hope was John the Baptist. The good news was sweeping the land. And everybody was talking about it. Now, some of you are going to say this morning, well, Pastor Mark, it's a really interesting story. That's cool. I like it. But so what? I've never been to Jordan. I'm not interested in ISIS. Repentance, what's all that about? What in the world does any of this have to do with me? I'm glad you asked. Would you just hold up one finger? Everybody just hold up one finger now. Come on, everybody. How many fingers do you have up? Good. How many of you are one? The world we live in is similar in many ways to the world in Jesus' time. Corrupt governments, chaos, war, and the like. John the Baptist and Jesus came with a message that was radically different than the one people were hearing from their religious leaders. Repentance, humility, and internal change rather than external appearances and hypocrisy. Social media is a huge blessing that most of us use every day. We want to encourage you to become our Facebook friend and follow our Twitter feed. 
At the Facebook page and Twitter feed, we post information about upcoming events, discipleship articles, and encouraging quotes that will inspire you in your walk with Jesus. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to the Calvary Chapel Melbourne Facebook page and Twitter feed, or simply search for Calvary CCM on Facebook or Twitter. We even have a specific Facebook page for the Vieira campus. Simply search for Calvary CCM and you'll see the Vieira Campus Facebook page in the search results. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Again, our web address is LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue teaching about the radical nature of what John the Baptist and Jesus had to bring to the Jewish people and us. He will be reminding us that our biggest problem is nothing external, but our problem is us. The solution John and Jesus brought the Jews and the Gentiles is repentance and submission to the will of God, accepting the death of Jesus to redeem us from our sin. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.